Today I'm talking with Maria Dew Casey, who's the president of the Bar Association and who in 2018 called for more lawyers to get involved in civil legal aid in particular. I'm going to talk with her about her experiences and the ways that the profession responded to her call. Well, I started many, many years ago, obviously in Christchurch um, when I left university and um, with Young Hunter and Co. And at that time, firms did legal aid which I understand your firm does these days, but you know much fewer firms now do legal aid work. And so I started off doing a diet of some criminal, some civil, um, family included, legal aid. Employment law wasn't such a thing then, back in the day. Um, but, uh, and uh, it was a way of getting into court, cutting your teeth, um, alongside a diet of other, you know, commercial civil litigation. And I, I, I suppose I carried that on through community law work and um, into Wellington when I started in a firm there. We also were permitted to do a bit of criminal legal aid and civil legal aid as a part of the diet and, um, and then travelled overseas and, and did work there and then came back to New Zealand. And eventually I came out as a barrister and I thought, well, I will start redoing another um, time in my life of doing criminal, uh, not criminal legal aid, but civil legal aid. And I joined and um, and did a, did a small diet of um, civil legal aid employment, mostly, in my first years as a barrister. And then it seemed to get increasingly more difficult. There were expectations of you to certify that the claim had, uh, I can't remember the exact wording, but I started to feel a bit nervous that, look, I am not certifying whether this claim has substantial merit. Uh, I obviously have to be satisfied that it reads a you know, minimum threshold. But um, and as a result, and it, it did seem to just get more difficult to administer, sort of silently protested. And I remember writing at the time saying, oh, look, I'm not willing to certify in such strong terms the merits of a client's case. I'm willing to advocate for it, but I don't feel it's my position to uh, be asked to certify in such strong terms. I think the certification now has... has uh, I might be wrong about this, but it seems to have lessened. That puts you in a position where you've got an obligation under the rules to act, even if you don't agree with the proceedings. And yet here you are telling legal aid your frank view that you just don't think they should continue. I mean, that, that's quite a, an ethical draw. Yes, and, and I felt, uh, you know, there was a, it was too much of an ethical dilemma for me to be certifying the merits of the case when it, the reality is when you're drafting that first piece of claim, you're relying upon your client's advice to you. And I, I didn't feel I could certify things uh, when I was in the early stages of getting to grips with the case. So anyway, and, and I resigned because the, the pay rates were too difficult. And so I, I remember writing a little letter to them. Of course, you know, you, you're not going to change the world. Um, but my, my short little letter was, look, I feel that this has become too difficult and I'm a sort of silent protest. I'm withdrawing from legal aid. Thank you. And, and I, I did that for probably 10 years where I just felt that it was, wasn't was a path that I wanted to follow. Uh, not realising that over that 10 years, a lot changed for civil legal aid and a lot of lawyers did something similar. 
And in fact, then the pool of civil legal aid lawyers became smaller and smaller and more and more pressure on those individuals. And then I started, then I became more senior and um, I perhaps, you know, had more time to, to devote and I started getting involved with the New Zealand Bar Association and on the council and on the Access to Justice Advocacy Committee and realised what an appalling state civil legal aid had got into and how few active providers there were and a lot of the good work done by Bridget Troy Cronin who has highlighted really alongside others and Bar Association highlighted the real difficulties for civil legal aid now and at that point and I think it was 2018 I, I put out a bit of a call for Alongside others, I don't want to say it was only me, alongside others calling for civil lawyers to go back onto the list for employment, immigration, family, you know, social services and housing disputes. And there's a huge raft of material that isn't family, that isn't criminal, that is where a lot of people access or need access to lawyers and can't afford lawyers at their commercial rates, and so slip between the gaps. And not everything can be filled by pro bono. One of the big things I see as being the benefits of civil legal aid is that there is protection against costs, and that's really important and something that pro bono work can't deliver. Can't protect clients from the costs, which could become significant if they take on a, a large company or a government entity. Legal aid allows protection from costs, and so you can bring claims that would otherwise uh, be too frightening for uh, smaller uh, individuals who who don't have resources if things go up go poorly to um, fund the costs of the other side. And many times they will not be able to afford to bring the case, even if you offer to do it pro bono. You have to make them aware of that risk. Um, and so anyway, we we sort of put this call out uh, and with a hope of trying to increase this the, the size of civil legal aid lawyers. And I must confess, I tried to um, just quickly find out before our podcast this morning whether that number of civil legal aid providers, and of course there's hidden numbers there because it becomes very difficult to translate between the number of people who are ostensibly out there and those who are actually doing this work. But what I do know is having spoken with a couple of different community law centres, um, that it is not unusual for them to send people on in the hopes of finding a legal aid provider and for them to simply come back and say that they haven't been able to identify anyone. I mean, I recently had um, the Legal Services Commissioner flying me down to Nelson to appear on a matter because the only active civil legal aid provider down there uh, was on the other side. And so, you know, there, there was, in Nelson it appeared, only one person who could possibly have taken the file anyway. Official Information Act requests can locate this material, and uh, I know that uh, um, Bar Association probably should do another request. I, uh, I know we worked with Bridget Toycronin and got some material that showed there were probably less than 150 active civil legal aid providers across New Zealand. Now, that is a pretty woeful number. I would be delighted if that number had improved, 
Uh, I think around the edges it may well have. I've certainly been approached, and this is only anecdotal, look, I'm trying to get on legal aid, I'm finding it really hard to get approved. That's another conversation probably we want to have as part of this discussion. So there were a number of people who were enthused and said, yes, I'm happy to help out. And um, I think some have got through that process, and that would be uh, that, that's great. Others have come back to me and said, actually, I found the process quite difficult, even though I'm reasonably senior. And that's another conversation that we're having with legal services is why is it so hard to get intermediate people signed up when really they could turn around and provide that service to somebody pro bono and nobody's complaining about their experience it is a very difficult thing with legal aid, isn't it, that you need to have already had the experience before you can start doing it. Uh, I mean, I, I've managed to get myself to PAL 2 for criminal, but that required me to find three clients who were prepared to private pay for a jury trial rather than going on legal aid. And to get civil approval, you have to have gone through five trials, which good luck finding five trials as a junior lawyer without having them settle on you. You know, it's, it's quite a challenge. Yeah, I've supported people um, trying to get onto the employment civil legal aid, uh, just for specialist appointment for particular matters. And that seems to have been unreasonably difficult, in my view, because really I'm working alongside them, knowing they're competent employment lawyers. It shouldn't be that difficult. They've got a practicing certificate. They've been operating. They don't have any current complaints. Really, that there should be a, a, a relatively efficient bar for approval that just has some baseline levels of, well, you're operating doing this work. There's no reason why if you meet some minimum requirements for practising certificate and no current complaints, I would have thought that was sort of in the realms of being able to be approved without a huge administrative burden of producing X number of cases and copies of submissions you've done, and that's a higher bar than we need to get a practising certificate. Well, no, I was, I was thinking that people can practise on their own account, which should, you would think, be the same measure, and yet they're not required to go through that sort of strenuous uh, test to, to get there. A private client doesn't necessarily put you through those. Um, government departments are quite rightly are prudent about who they appoint, but... There are plenty of government panel appointment processes that I'm not sure require that level of scrutiny, and particularly when you are really asking people to do work at very low levels of remuneration, they are not doing it because it's a money-making venture. They're doing it because they believe in the profession and the important access to justice, you know, and we should be enabling that a bit more easily. I I know that legal services are working on improvements to streamlining those application processes, and I guess the proof will be in the pudding as to what level of extra lawyer providers we have when we measure it against 2018. I think you're quite right to say as well that lawyers are already making a sacrifice by choosing to take files on legal aid rather than spending their full time at commercial rates. So every barrier to entry must really have a, a measurable impact in whether people actually choose to pursue this at all or not. Yes, absolutely, and uh, I, I think that's just one of the issues that legal services, to be fair, I think are recognising and are trying to make 
inroads and improving there. So I, I'm hopeful. It'll be lovely. I, you've now um, motivated me to perhaps make a, a, a request from legal services whether they could give us that data again and we'll see if there's any improvements in it. Yes, I think I've actually just found it. Mike. I can report happily that the number of uh, legal aid providers who have accepted three or more civil assignments um, went from a number of 19 in 2017-18 to 34 in the most recent year for, for which numbers exist. So almost double, <laughs> but still... One would think at 34 individuals, that's still woefully inadequate. That surprises me, to be honest. I, I would have thought it was more than that. I have done, it look probably like you, I've done two civil legal aid trials in this year slash last year. So two of those will be mine. Two of them will probably be yours. Well, it would surprise me if it's not more than that. And I can certainly talk to you about my experience of the two matters I took, both of them are employment um, legal aid matters, one in the Employment Relations Authority and one in the Employment Court. And to me, it's shown the absolute value of having legal aid for these clients. They would not have been able to run these cases without legal aid. They, they would not have been suitable for pro bono in the sense that they couldn't have been protected from costs, particularly for the one that was in the employment court. The one I wanted to talk to you about, if you uh, want to deal with it just briefly, and you might have some other yeah. topics, this was an important uh, access to justice sort of realisation for me in this case, and um, my clients given me permission to talk about the fact that they were on legal aid because, A, you have to disclose it to the other side and, and you have to disclose it um uh, to the court, but um, uh, so I wanted to make sure they were comfortable with me discussing it, but they're very keen for me to discuss it because they also experienced it as being a hugely significant factor in why they could take their case. And it was the DF and Customs case, which recently went through the Employment Court, that had a successful outcome for GF against customs and there's no way that that case could have been run it was uh, more over a week's set of trial hearing dates uh, an enormous amount of work and um, documentation to deal with in the lead up to the hearing we ran out of time on one occasion and needed a few extra days there was a mediation involved in between times there was no way that case could have been run against a, a significant government department without the, the assistance of legal aid. And there was a, a huge commitment by legal services to allowing that case to go ahead because we did incur, even on legal aid rates, reasonable costs on that matter. And if my client had not been successful, and there were some novel issues raised in that, if they had not been successful, the risk of costs would have ground them down and they would not have been able to pursue it to a hearing. No, I've had that same experience of matters that deserve to proceed for clients who really need to have their issues heard. But for whom it is the cost protection, that is the, the only reason why they're in a position to move forward. And, and I mean, even as a firm, it's important to us because increasingly you're starting to run into arguments from people on the other side where files are effectively pro bono that the firm is a litigation funder. And of course, there's now discussion about whether litigation funders should be expected to answer the costs. And, and that raises a whole other series of questions that um, are quite uncomfortable to have to deal with in that context. So the cost protection regime is a very important one. Hey, Don, 
compromise as the lawyer acting. If you're doing pro bono and contingency, and I think there really is a place for those, but at a point where there are offers of settlement, etc., and your fees are dependent on that, there's just this uncomfortable compromise I've found at times that does not exist with legal aid. In terms of your, your experience as a practitioner having to deal with legal aid, and I mean, I, I deal with criminal and civil legal aid lawyers who consistently moan about the difficulties involved in billing legal aid. Um, what, what's been your sense of engaging with the legal aid process and trying to ensure you do your best for your client but within the rules that are set for you? I have to say, um, in the two matters I've had, I've, I've had really good uh, engagement with legal services. Yes, it is quite a cumbersome process, and there's a lot of non-recoverable time and effect, particularly in the Employment Relations Authority jurisdiction. You, you know, you are not recovering all your hours, and the hours you are recovering are at this rate. But You've, you've allowed your client to be able to run a case without risk of cost, and that to me is, is kind of the, the point of the exercise. So, and look, you know, I'm more senior. Maybe I'm getting, you know, I'm probably not having everyone's experience, but I, but I have to say, and I would hope that this is others' experience, on the civil legal aid matters I've dealt with, I've found legal services to be responsive and helpful in the way they've responded as best they can in the circumstances that they have. And uh, I, I have found that reasonably positive, actually. I know that's not necessarily everyone's experience. You, you mentioned that a number of things are effectively unrecoverable time on legal aid. And one thing that I've observed is that there's a, a real easy approach to getting funding for court-based steps. But alternate dispute resolution is something that it seems harder to, to get recognised within the fee structures that legal aid operates under. I must say I didn't attend, uh, obviously for the Employment Relations Authority, there, there's a very small allowance for mediation, but there is. And for the employment court matter, I was not involved in the mediation. That was done by my instructing solicitor. And I think, again, you know, there, there is an allocation there of hours. So I don't know if I would have too much complaint, if any, about that. It's just the reality is that the preparation time that you require to do things is not going to be, you know, recoverable. And that's true of sometimes commercial cases. Uh, client that, that you just sense you can't quite bill all of that time but you feel it needs it so you do it. So, well, I don't have too much complaint about the billing process myself. I think it's making it more accessible to a larger range of providers so we can have more sharing the load. I do still get, I would say, three calls a week saying, could you take this matter on legal aid? And, uh, you know, uh, I just can't take all of the matters. I, I have my allocation. But I do, uh, I'm very grateful to Auckland Community Law Centre. They will often try and pick cases up. Tiara Ture, you can refer them back through Tiara Ture. They are not just doing the pro bono, though mostly, but they will sometimes triage cases for legal aid and or pro bono. So I think those are really good clearinghouse models that we've got for. One of the cases I did was also, and is continuing, is working alongside Community Law Centre in Auckland, and they are really providing the support to the client. 
so that I am more focused on getting the case ready, some support, but not having to deal directly with the client on the day-to-day meters, but get ready. And so that's a good model when you're trying to run cases efficiently on legal aid or pro bono. Yes, I've had similar experiences with the Waikato Community Law Centre who, who can provide that sort of litigation support for the day-to-day to run things where there's a really, you know, narrowly focused issue. So I think it is a model that's worth with expanding really there is that opportunity there so that you get more return for the community law centre work but also make it easier for practitioners to, to volunteer their time. And the lawyers and community law centre I think enjoy the the fact that they are getting some experience alongside senior litigators. They're able to build up their experience base for other client work they're doing. So there's a bit of a one there. One of the other thing that's been mentioned, because I sent out a bit of a call to our Bar Association Council um, ahead of our podcast and just said, what are the matters you're wanting me to particularly raise? And one of the key things that came back, which is all aligned with our trying to improve the number of providers, is a sense that the ability to have juniors come in and sit alongside both in criminal and in civil, and if that wasn't able to be funded by legal um, services, then we would be, again, another pathway to building up a greater pool of providers. So for Maori lawyers who are trying to do family and criminal work, apparently they have found it hard to have get the appointment of juniors. I know the Legal Services Commissioner is looking at that and deciding whether they should make more provision for juniors to be able to, because that's how you get your PAL 1, PAL 2. We always stock trials with two lawyers, but usually on legal aid matters, we're doing that at our own cost and our junior lawyers are are just sitting there for free, which we're fortunate to be large enough to be able to carry that cost and, and see the returns on it eventually. But it's a huge expense if you've got a lengthy trial to have a junior lawyer just sitting there earning a salary and, and charging no fees for the entire time, on top of the fact that you're already charging legal aid rates. So to have some compensation for junior lawyers would make a huge difference on, on the coalface, I would think. It was difficult to get a junior lawyer approval for one of the matters I was involved in, and in fact it would have been easier if it was an administrative person. Apparently we could have approval for an administrative person, but not for a junior lawyer, at which point I, I sort of gave up. I that. think that's a common that's a common one because you can charge time for a paralegal, which includes a, a law clerk who's not yet been admitted. We always have to try and race them through as soon as they're admitted, getting their first appearance underway so that we can get them approved as supervised providers because despite the mm-hmm. fact that they were doing the work a week ago, once they're admitted, they're prohibited until they get separate approval. And the sort of crazy thing about it is that the, the junior lawyer is containing the cost because you're not having to do all of that work. So you are trying to manage costs prudently on the file. Yeah, no, I do think that it would be nice to be able to get that approval. We we did, having said that, we got co-counsel approval because of the Tikanga matter in the GF and customs. It would be nice to see that um, being ramped up, and I, I think that is one of the things that's on the agenda for legal services. They do realise that. The other thing we, um, Bar Association, has certainly wanting to try and push for, though, coming into an election now, it seems it's probably not going to be on the agenda for this year or parliamentary term, a general review of legal aid, civil and criminal. 
And that is something that I know there's been a lot of discussion in the UK. There was a review and it came out with findings and recommendations and some of those findings and recommendations have been adopted by the UK equivalent legal services. And that is something that we've had pockets of reviews of the duty solicitor role, some smaller remuneration reviews, but a more comprehensive review of criminal and civil legal aid New Zealand has not done since the Dame Margaret Baisley report. And you'll remind me how long ago that was. Yes, I think um, from memory that precedes my entry into practice. So that's (laughs) that's taken us back a little way. You know, you, you couldn't say we were rushing to do that if that, and that was only in relation to criminal legal aid. Comprehensive review, I, I think, is overdue, and that's something that the Bar Association has on its agenda to push for, but realistically, it's probably going to be within the next election, after the next election. Well, I guess the, the final question I'd have then is, um, it's been a few years now since you came out and, and said that you were going to be taking up more legal aid work and, and encouraging others to do it. Personally, would you say it's been a success? Do you, do you feel it's been a rewarding experience having gone back into that kind of work? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wouldn't, I'm really pleased I did. Absolutely no way for these two cases. The other one in the Employment Relations Authority has been a very difficult sexual harassment matter. And again, no way that would have been able to be run without the particular characteristics of the applicant who I'm acting for. There's no way that would have been able to be run without legal aid involvement. And in both cases, I found enormously satisfying, even though they they do take a lot of time probably like you they're enormously satisfying your senior client that wouldn't have been able to take this case and I know the same goes for people who do pro bono work as well which I'm sure you do as, as I do but it is enormously satisfying seeing them be able to take the case through to hearing not having to compromise what they think is at the heart of their case because of the significant risks of cost where there are good public interest reasons for being able to take those cases and that's a hugely satisfying thing to be involved in so yeah I certainly don't have any regrets and I really encourage people to consider taking up the civil legal aid because while you wouldn't or couldn't afford it to be all of your practice, it can absolutely be a very uh, valuable and rewarding part of your overall practice. Thank you for listening to Maria and Tim's discussion around legal aid involvement. We hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to check out our other podcasts too.